This Family Life News Podcast is made possible by the support of listeners like you. It's the Noon Report from Family Life, bringing a Christian worldview to what's happening in New York, Pennsylvania, across the country, and around the world. Weather with Kevin Williams, plus special features and reports with the Family Life News team. Now, here's what's happening. Spring fling. Good afternoon. Welcome to the broadcast. We're taking a walk on the mild side this week, folks. Temperatures by midweek will exceed 60 degrees. Meteorologist John Hitchcock at the National Weather Service in Buffalo. We expect highs in the mid-60s. That's about 30 degrees above average for a high at this time of year. The record highs for both Tuesday and Wednesday are 64 and we're expecting to be very close to those numbers. We might tie or set new record highs two days in a row. Hitchcock says late Wednesday, though, into Thursday, those temperatures will take a tumble by 30 degrees or more in just a span of a few hours, which could lead to some flash freezing. But the cold won't hold. We're back in the 50s again with sunshine to end the work week. Nikki Haley's campaign for president may be living on borrowed time after Saturday's 20-point loss to Donald Trump in her home state of South Carolina. Trump never mentioned Haley by name in his victory speech, instead focused his firepower on the president. We're going to look at Joe Biden, and we're going to look him right in the eye. He's destroying our country, and we're going to say... Joe, you're fired. But Haley thinks despite Trump going undefeated thus far in the primary season, he cannot defeat President Biden come November. Donald Trump lost 40 percent of the vote in the first three states. You have to look at that. If he's losing 40 percent, he can't win a general election. Haley's in Michigan today ahead of that state's primary election tomorrow. Correspondent Robert Costa has more on her future political plans. I've been talking to donors and they say they're going to keep pouring money into her campaign and into her super PAC. But at the same time, they know that Super Tuesday, come early March, that's going to be a real crossroads for her. On Super Tuesday, a week from tomorrow, 15 states will be hosting nominating contests. Other political news today, Ronna McDaniel is stepping down as chairwoman of the Republican National Committee. McDaniel led the RNC for seven years and will be giving up that post next month after Donald Trump endorsed North Carolina GOP leader Michael Watley for the job. Free speech at the High Court, the U.S. Supreme Court, hearing oral arguments today on the reach of free speech. At issue is the constitutionality of state laws that limit content on social media, including hate speech and disinformation. The Supreme Court will have to decide whether social media and internet platforms are more like newspapers, which have first amendment rights to publish whatever they want without government interference, or are they more like phone companies and shopping malls that are not allowed to discriminate against viewpoints and must allow access to everyone? That's legal analyst Thane Rosenbaum. A ruling is expected in June. An illegal immigrant charged in the murder of a 22-year-old Georgia nursing student is being held without bail. Lakin Riley disappeared while jogging last week. That college student will be 
laid to rest this Friday. The suspect, a 26-year-old from Venezuela, unlawfully entered this country in September of 2022 and had prior run-ins with the law. Former acting ICE director Tom Homan. This young lady suffered a terrible death, a violent death, fighting for her life. Another U.S. citizen family is going to bury their child because of this open border. The suspect, Jose Ibera, was arrested on Friday, a day after Lake and Riley's body was found in a wooded area on the University of Georgia campus. That suspect lived just five minutes from the crime scene. Uncle Sam is about to max out his proverbial credit card again. 20% of the U.S. government will shut down on Friday. Absent a short-term funding fix from Congress, the rest of the government runs out of money on March 8th. President Biden will meet tomorrow with congressional leaders to discuss future funding for the war in Ukraine. Here's National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan. History is watching whether Speaker Johnson will put that bill on the floor. If he does, it will pass. We'll get Ukraine what it needs for Ukraine to succeed. Saturday marked two years since the Russian invasion of Ukraine. Israeli Prime Minister Bibi Netanyahu vows to invade Rafah in southern Gaza regardless of a potential ceasefire with Hamas. Netanyahu says there cannot be peace in the Middle East without the total destruction of Hamas. We'll continue the job to achieve total victory. Total victory is how you win the war, and total victory is how you win the peace. You can't win the peace if you don't win the war. He added that total victory is weeks, not months away. Reporter Raf Sanchez has more from Jerusalem. Netanyahu says deal or no deal, he will push ahead with an attack on the city of Rafah in southern Gaza. He says Israel's military has drawn up a plan to move more than a million civilians out of the city before the attack begins, but humanitarian organizations are saying there is simply nowhere safe in Gaza for them to run to. Hamas is still holding 134 hostages in Gaza. Some of them are Americans. There is talk that the terror group could release those hostages in exchange for about 3,000 Palestinian prisoners. A student at a Christian college in central Kentucky is dead. Another is in custody following a fatal on-campus incident on Saturday. Police say a 21-year-old student student strangled to death an 18-year-old student in his dorm room. Both were on the wrestling team at Campbellsville University, which has an enrollment of about 12,000. The suspect was captured hiding in a barn in rural Kentucky. Well, if you had to suffer through AT&T's latest cell service outage last week, you'll be happy to know you're getting five bucks for your troubles. In a message sent to customers, the company apologized and said the credit is to, quote, help make it right. The FCC is investigating the outage, which AT&T says was caused by a technical error as it was trying to expand its network. The $5 credit will automatically be applied to customers' accounts within two billing cycles. Matt Piper reporting. Still to come on the Noon Report for a Monday. Redistricting decision in New York. Poll workers needed in Pennsylvania. And some tips to help you sleep better. We've got an expert on that issue after this. Well, good afternoon. I'm Kevin Williams.
Williams tracking a milder pattern to start the work week, but much colder weather follows. We'll have forecast details in 10. All right, Kevin, we'll see you then. In the meantime, let's check the stories making news where you live. All across New York and Pennsylvania, the New York State Legislature expected to reject today those new-look congressional maps that were approved earlier this month by an independent redistricting commission. These congressional lines very likely today are going to be thrown out by the Democratic-controlled legislature. So we don't even know where these boundaries are. This legislature, either later this week or next Monday, is going to come up with a new map and show everyone. But this is simply a mess. Spectrum News political director Bob Hart. If these things are too gerrymandered too much, we could see a court battle and we could see the primary date moved. Petitioning is supposed to start this week. If these lines are thrown out, that's going to change the calendar. If the maps are shot down, it will likely set up a protracted court battle, and it could throw the 2024 election calendar into disarray in New York. Democrats don't like the newly drawn maps because they're not much different than the old ones. A rural Pennsylvania county may have to pay the state hundreds of thousands of dollars in legal fees These fees were incurred from a three-year battle over Donald Trump's election fraud claims in Pennsylvania. The Secretary of State wants a special master appointed by the Pennsylvania Supreme Court to order Fulton County repay more than $700,000 in litigation costs. Counties across Pennsylvania could face staffing issues for the upcoming November presidential election. The Secretary of State, Al Schmidt, says when polling places don't have enough workers, you are more likely to encounter mistakes. Mistakes certainly not intended to influence the outcome of an election. Former election official Jerry Fieser says a new voting law that took effect in 2020 has made casting ballots more complicated in the Commonwealth. He says prior to passage of Act 77... Elections were very static. Everybody knew what the rules were going into the game. But with Act 77, there's all these court challenges now about every little piece of the puzzle, and it just complicates things. It takes approximately 45,000 poll workers at more than 9,000 voting locations across Pennsylvania to make for successful elections. In the words of Jerry Fieser, when it comes to elections, failure is not an option. SUNY campuses across New York are adding additional financial aid sessions for applicants who need to complete the FAFSA forms. Those forms are several months late this year. Parents of high school seniors must fill them out in order to determine how much aid they'll be getting for college. Because of the delays, the decision day for SUNY students has been moved up until May 15th. It's typically much earlier than that. The FAFSA forms, we're told, should be available beginning in March. One man is dead and two Buffalo police officers are on administrative leave after an officer-involved shooting on the city's east side over the weekend. Police Commissioner Joseph Grimaldi There was an individual in the street that did have a gun, gave a a very full description, and stated that uh, anybody pulls on scene, he may shoot. Police believe the person who called 911 was the same man who had a 12-gauge shotgun. When cops arrived on scene, they found the suspect alone in the middle of the road. That's when officers took cover behind their patrol cars. Within 
I would say less than 30 seconds upon their arrival, they had given numerous commands for the individual to put the gun down. Uh, within about that 30 second time frame, this individual discharged one round from his 12 gauge shotgun. Two officers returned fire, striking the 58 year old suspect multiple times. He was pronounced dead at the scene. This is a terrible situation. It's, uh, it's very unfortunate that it ended like this. It's terrible for the family, terrible uh, for you know the officers that had to respond to that. And unfortunately, we're put in that position. Commissioner Grimalia says because it was an officer involved shooting, the case is immediately referred to the New York State Attorney General's office. A Pennsylvania man has been convicted of violating state hunting laws by using a drone. Joshua Wingenroth of Downington, PA, uses drones to try and locate wounded deer that are shot by hunters so they can retrieve them. But last week, a Lancaster County judge found Wingenroth guilty of using illegal electronic devices during hunting and violating regulations on recreational spotlighting. Authorities say Wingenroth used the drone to hunt game, and that's a no-no in Pennsylvania. He was fined 1500 bucks, but his attorney says they will appeal that verdict. It won't be much longer before we spring forward. Daylight savings time starts Sunday, March 10th, just a couple of weeks away. You'll notice the difference with the sun shining longer into the day. But experts caution the clock change could also interfere with your sleep hygiene. Sleep expert Shelby Harris says there are some things you'll want to avoid late in the day if you want to get a good night's sleep. Working out really close to bedtime, like a really vigorous workout can sometimes make it harder to fall asleep. Then things like caffeine. So you really want to limit that caffeine generally about eight hours before bedtime, as well as heavy meals and liquids within three hours of bed are really important. And then also really limiting that screen time. She recommends seven to nine hours of sleep each night for teenagers eight to 10 hours is recommended. Sports is next. We call it the two-minute drill right here on the Family Life Noon Report. Good afternoon. I'm Randy Snavely. Bob, I know Casey at the bat is about baseball, but today let's make it about hockey. Casey Middlestad scored in the fourth round of the shootout, and the Buffalo Sabres now have a season-high three-game winning streak as they beat Carolina 3-2. Owen Power and Jeff Skinner also scored for Buffalo, who are now at 27-27-4 on the season. The New York Rangers' 10-game winning streak is over as Columbus doubled them up 4-2. Artemi Panarin and Adam Enstrom scored for the Blue Shirts in the loss. Well, it was a real shootout in Pittsburgh as the Penguins won a wild one over the Philadelphia Flyers, 7-6 the final. Brian Russ scored twice, while Sidney Crosby, Emil Benstrom, Drew O'Connor, Ricard Raquel, and Chris Letang also found the back of the net. In the NBA, the Milwaukee Bucks put it to the Philadelphia 76ers, 119-98. Tyrese Maxey led Philly with 24 points. With the loss, the Sixers now stand at 33-24 on the season. In NASCAR, Daniel Suarez won in a photo finish in Hampton, Georgia. Suarez edged Ryan Blaney and Kyle Busch in the three-way finish. Austin Sindrick and Bubba Wallace rounded out the top five. 
Daytona 500 winner Will Byron finished in 17th place. And in baseball, Cody Bellinger has re-upped with the Chicago Cubs. He signed a three-year deal. That is a look at sports. All right, go Cubbies. Thank you very much, Randy. Still to come on the Noon Report, a meeting of the minds at the White House tomorrow. Putting a human face on the illegal immigration debate. And big case before the Supreme Court. What is the reach of free speech, after all, when it comes to social media? We'll dig in right after this. Welcome to Breakpoint, a daily look at an ever-changing culture through the lens of unchanging truth. For the Colson Center, I'm John Stone Street. Why should people exercise or eat better or cut back on caffeine consumption? In the not-so-distant past, the common answer was simple and compelling. Well, it's good for them. Today, however, according to the United Nations, the National Library of Medicine, and the New York Post, one of the main reasons to do these things is to fight off climate change. In fact, you can Google virtually any good habit along with the words climate change, and the results are plentiful. Apparently, at least according to the mainstream press and governmental agencies, the best way to sell behavior policies or technology is not to tout the obvious actual benefits for individuals, but rather some tenuous, highly theoretical way that it might, if looked at in the right light and all the stars align, possibly could help cool the planet. Now, this is a telltale sign that whatever the scientific merits of man-made climate change may be, it has become a religious system for many, complete with genuflecting indulgences and ritual invocations. In fact, climate change was recently offered as a reason to engage in an actual religious practice, one that goes back thousands of years and is beneficial, even essential to human well-being. In the Washington Post recently, advice columnist Michael Corrin argued that one way to fight climate change is to take a weekly day of rest. He called his idea a green Sabbath. Quote, clergy are now arguing that this practice, whether in a secular or religious context, can help redirect the world's societies away from catastrophic climate change. In their view, it's as essential to the future as any clean energy technology or electric vehicle. A shared day of rest, at a minimum, might slow the pace of consumption, curb emissions, ease the burden of so many people, working weary weekends, end quote. In a sense, Corn paraphrased Pope Francis, who argued in a 2015 encyclical that refusing to rest is bad for the earth. According to Corin, quote, the constant drive to produce and consume more is squandering natural resources, and it prevents us from treating the living world and one another with dignity and respect, end quote. Now, of course, there's a little bit of truth that he's pointing to here. In addition to the weekly personal Sabbath instituted in creation by God, the Israelites were to recognize a Sabbath rest for the earth every seven years. According to Exodus 23, the Israelites were to let fields lie fallow, and their refusal to do this was among the reasons given for the Babylonian captivity, during which, according to 2 Chronicles, God gave back to the land the Sabbath years that it had missed. Still, the weekly Sabbath rest, Jesus said, was created primarily for man. The pattern of work and rest was established by God in the very beginning when he created for six days and then rested on the seventh. He set a rhythm there that his image bearers and vice regents were to follow each week. In other words, creation gets a rest because we need a rest, not the other way around. In his article, Corrin sort of acknowledged that this practice of a day of rest dates back more than 2,600 years and that it's 
foundations were actually religious, not environmental. Still, the whole piece is burdened and preoccupied with a need to justify this inherently good and deeply biblical practice of rest with a nod to fighting climate change. The Sabbath, just like exercise, eating better, less coffee, is good for us because of how God made us. The strange need today to justify everything with another threat of catastrophe is anything but restful. Stressful, actually. In fact, the original reasons to take a day off each week are better than any appeal to reducing carbon emissions. For the Colson Center, I'm John Stone Street with Breakpoint. Thank you, John. Let's take it outside. Kevin Williams. Here is your family life weather forecast. Here's our call for this afternoon. It's a mellow afternoon. We've got some sunshine, high temps, 40s and low 50s, dropping back into the 30s tonight. Tomorrow, some morning sun and clouding up with afternoon and evening showers, breezy, milder, high temps near 60. Wednesday will be a kind of a busy weather day, windy. Uh, we'll have a warm start to the day with showers and a thunderstorm, and sharply colder Wednesday night with snow. Temperatures Wednesday peak in the 60s, tumble into the 20s late Wednesday night. All right, Wednesday should be an interesting day around here. Thank you, Kevin. This is the Noon Report. I'm your host, Bob Price. Lots going on Monday, the 26th of February. Shutdown, showdown. Congressional leaders have a sit-down tomorrow at the White House to try and avert a partial government shutdown on Friday. Here's reporter Rory O'Neill. The White House will play host to the Big Four congressional leaders Tuesday to try and hammer out a deal that averts a government shutdown March 1st. Congress is just returning from its President's Day recess, and there isn't much time to avoid that shutdown. Democrats are trying to convince Republicans to approve aid to Ukraine and Israel. Republicans want stricter rules at the southern border, leaving some to fear a shutdown is inevitable. I'm Rory O'Neill. The U.S. Supreme Court heard oral arguments today on whether states have the right to dictate content to social media companies. States like Florida and Texas argue that companies like Facebook and X have been quick to tamp down on conservative viewpoints. They say these social media companies should be regulated like businesses and not be allowed to remove users' posts based on their viewpoints or to ban political candidates. And then on the other side, Facebook and YouTube, and they're saying, like, wait a minute. These laws infringe on our editorial content. We should be treated like news outlets and we should be able to have First Amendment protection and editorial control over our content. Jan Crawford at the high court, a decision expected in June. Donald Trump four for four thus far in nominating contests in the 2024 GOP race for the White House. Wow, that is really... Something. This was a little sooner than we anticipated. He scored a decisive victory over Nikki Haley in her home state of South Carolina on Saturday. Correspondent Garrett Hay. Decisive really is the word for this victory for former President Trump in South Carolina, where he dominated Nikki Haley in nearly every key voting block, according to our exit polling. Now Mr. Trump is trying to pivot to the general election, but Haley is hanging on, insisting Trump is unelectable in November. Next up, the Michigan primary tomorrow. Then it's on to Super Tuesday a week from tomorrow when 15 states hold nominating contests. The man accused of murdering a University of Georgia college student is an illegal immigrant from Venezuela. 22-year-old Lakin Riley was a nursing student. She was murdered last week while jogging. Her funeral will happen on Friday. Retired FBI Assistant Director Chris Swecker. You can draw a direct line between the open borders 
and this death. Outkicks Mary Catherine Ham says the tragic murder of Lake and Riley puts a human face on the illegal immigration debate. The media needs to talk about the facts of the case. And many sources are sort of just leaving out that this person was in the country illegally and did have arrests. People have to acknowledge, particularly media, whose job it is to use the facts, acknowledge that when you're letting millions and millions of people in, 10,000 per day in some cases, they're unvetted. It doesn't mean that all of those people are going to commit violent crimes, but it does mean that some of them will. The suspect lived just five minutes from where the victim's body was found. Saturday marked two years since Russia invaded Ukraine. Correspondent Charlie Daggett. President Zelensky said Ukrainians are dying by the day because of a lack of Western support, revealing for the first time the figure of 31,000 Ukrainian soldiers killed since the invasion began, though even U.S. analysts put the number at more than twice that. Now to the war in the Middle East. Israeli Prime Minister Bibi Netanyahu says ground troops will invade Rafah in southern Gaza. Whether or not hostage talks succeed. Once we begin the Rafah operation, the intense phase of the fighting is weeks away from completion. Not months, weeks away from completion. He adds without total victory, there will never be peace. We can't leave Hamas in place. We can't leave a quarter of Hamas uh, battalions in uh, Rafah and say, well, that's that's fine. Uh, Rafah is a city of about a million Palestinians. Attacks on churches are on the rise, and experts warn it's because of a growing disdain for Christianity. There were over 435 hostile acts against how Houses of worship in this country last year. According to the Family Research Council, that's more than double the amount from the previous year. Well, a lot of us work from home, but it may not be much longer before we're able to work from our automobiles. Experts say as self-driving technology advances, more of us will be able to do other things inside our cars. The way technology is advancing in the automobile, the car is becoming more than just a motor of transportation. It's becoming a device very much like your iPhone. William Boston at the Wall Street Journal says self-driving cars will transform the way we work, but he adds that reality is still decades away. The spacecraft that touched down on the moon last week is alive and well, despite tipping over on its side. Houston-based Intuitive Machines guided its Odysseus lander onto the moon last week, marking the first touchdown by a U.S.-built space spacecraft since the Apollo 17 mission in 1972. You're listening to the Noon Report, a Monday edition on Family Life. Community Bible Study, or CBS, is just what it sounds like. Groups of people meeting together regularly to study the Word of God. I'm Abigail Hoffland, and thanks for joining me today for Missions Pulse, a feature that explores what God is doing through missions efforts across the world. Here's part of my recent conversation with Community Bible Study Area Director Pat Bailey. Community Bible Study is a global mission work, and our vision is pretty simple. It's transform lives through the Word of God. We have women in our classes that are not Christian, just have heard that the Bible is a special book, as they say in China, and they want to understand it. And reading it on their own, they didn't get there. That evolves to our mission to make disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ in our communities. Right now in Corning, we have over 23 different churches represented in our class. And it only started three years ago. 
It truly is a work of the Holy Spirit. I love the story of how CBS got started in this area. Could you talk a little bit more about how that happened? I so wanted a community Bible study, and the closest one was an hour and 10 minutes away. So I kept praying about it, and God said, I want you to start one. Okay, how do I do that? So I called the Ministry Service Center in Colorado. They gave me the materials, and they said, what you need to do is pray and get a prayer group together to pray. And we started praying. We prayed for two and a half years that God would raise up a servants team and people interested in doing this work. And we opened three years ago, and we just registered our 100th lady, and we have almost 40 children in the children's program, all because of God. What is unique about CBS? What's unique about it is it's available to all, and we truly mean that. So the reason that is able to happen is because we do not talk about our churches, our denominations. We use common language. And if something comes up, we don't say, oh, and everybody knows the story about David and Goliath. And what happens is people start respecting people of different backgrounds. If you are Presbyterian, let's say you may never mingle with a Methodist or a Catholic or a non-denominational or a non-church goer. The other aspect of it is it's not fluff. I'm not saying all others are, but this is studying his word, period. And people feel safe there and they're excited about meeting other people who are hungry for God. Can you talk a little bit about the missional aspect of CBS? There is never a lack of people coming, sharing, getting saved. I'll tell you a quick story. My zone director got saved through CBS. She had moved to a new area and somebody invited her. So she went just because she was lonely and she ended up coming to know Jesus Christ and it changed her life dramatically. On a practical note, for anyone in our listening area who is interested in joining a CBS, what's the best way to find a class? The best way is to go on the web to communitybiblestudy.org, and then you can just click find a class and put your zip code in. The Corning class meets on Wednesday mornings from 9.30 to 11.30 at Beartown Road Alliance Church. You're welcome to just come, or you can sign up to come, whatever you want. But I would say come and see, as Jesus said in his word, come and see. You are going to be changed in amazing ways. That's Pat Bailey, Area Director of Community Bible Study, on today's edition of Missions Pulse, where we explore the heart of missions through conversations with people at the center of it. For Family Life News, I'm Abigail Hoffland. All right, Abigail, thank you very much for that. Missions Pulse, the name of that feature, airs Mondays during the Noon Report. You can also catch it online anytime. Just go to familylife.org. Good afternoon. Here is your Family Life regional weather forecast. Oh, on the weather map, we're tracking a potent cold front that'll be a player in our weather midweek. The front is currently located across south-central Canada. It'll arrive here Wednesday and Wednesday night, preceded 
by relatively warm spring-like air, then wind, showers, and rumbles of thunder. It'll be followed by a brief shot of much colder air and snow. Here's our call, though, for this afternoon. It's a mellow afternoon. We've got some sunshine, high temps, 40s and low 50s, dropping back into the 30s tonight. Tomorrow, some morning sun and clouding up with afternoon and evening showers, breezy, milder, high temps near 60. Wednesday will be a kind of a busy weather day, windy, and uh, we'll have a warm start to the day with showers and a thunderstorm, then sharply colder Wednesday night with snow. Temperatures Wednesday peak in the 60s, tumble into the 20s late Wednesday night. All right, Kevin, thank you very much. Finally, noon, an Oklahoma woman is about to turn 100 this month, but it's really just her 25th birthday. Say what? Family Life's Brian Query explains. Mary Forsyth was born February 29, 1924, a leap day. And since leap year comes around every four years, on her birthday later this week, she will technically celebrate her 25th birthday. The party got started a little early last week as the Sand Springs community where Forsyth lives gathered to celebrate her milestone. She was recognized by the Centenarians of Oklahoma and awarded a proclamation from the city to celebrate her 100th birthday. History.com says only about 5 million people worldwide have a Leap Day birthday and that the odds of being born on Leap Day stand at about 1 in 1,461. Foresight says her birthday presents a special opportunity, saying, quote, I always thought I was blessed. The Oklahoma native says she's been overwhelmed by all the attention and her passions in life include music and the Bible. Brian Query, Family Life News. Those are very good things to be passionate about. Thank you very much, Brian, and happy 100th birthday, or should I say 25th birthday to that Oklahoma woman. Good for you. And just like that, folks, we are out of time. That's the world we live in Monday, February 26th. I'm Bob Price, Family Life News. You've been listening to the Noon Report, heard weekdays on Family Life. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to this Family Life News Podcast. If you've been encouraged by what you've heard, please share it with others and click the subscribe button to automatically receive future episodes. Family Life is a listener-supported ministry. Podcasts like this are made possible by your financial partnership. Find out more at familylife.org.